You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. If you have a Bible, I want you to get over to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. You said, Revelation, I thought we were in the Christmas season. We have been in a, in a journey together through the Bible. As we've been coming out of the pandemic, as we talked and prayed, we said, you know what, let's just, let's just preach through the entire Bible this year. And that's what we've done. We have looked, starting in Genesis, and over the next two weeks we're going to be in the book of Revelation. And if I'm honest with you, it feels a little odd to not be doing Advent or some type of holiday season. But the more I thought about it, the more I, I thought this is, this is a good thing. You know, with Christmas is really the, the beginning of what God intends to do through Jesus in flesh and blood in the incarnation. And revelation is the end. Revelation is the culmination. Revelation is everything that God intended to do. And, and don't miss this. Everything God intends to do, he does. Yeah, God, God doesn't have unfinished projects on his workbench. Not you, not not his plans for you, not his plans for humanity. And what Revelation allows us to do is it allows us to see the punctuation at the end. And so we've observed, we've studied, we've read, we've discussed things like the Garden of Eden. We've looked at the events of the Old Testament, the covenants that Israel repeatedly broke. We've looked at the incarnation. We looked at the birth of Jesus. We looked at the life of Jesus. We looked at the death of Jesus. We looked at the resurrection of Jesus. We looked at the day of Pentecost and the beginning of the church, and today we're going to just head into this space where we look at the end, where we look at the reality that our story is already written by God. Even though we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, we know who is in charge of it. And what the book of Revelation does is it allows us to see God's word, God's plan, God's intent coming to reality. Okay, so this apocalyptic prophecy comes in the form of an ancient letter addressed to seven churches. Seven churches, all in this tight regional area. It has a greeting and a benediction, and it's written from a guy by the name of John. John was Jesus' best friend. John was a disciple. John is an apostle. John is a church planner. And this book is unique because John receives this prophecy directly from Jesus. Remember, Jesus is talking to, to his dude, to his, to his best friend, and John receives this prophecy in the Spirit, and he writes and hears what Revelation 22 and verse 6 says, must take place soon. This is a revelation and a prophecy of something that will be taking place soon. And in that sense, John is very much like the prophets of the Old Testament, like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, like the other faithful prophets who receive revelation and write it down for others to be able to understand and follow. But it's unique in that Jesus tells John to seal up the words of prophecy of this book, to, 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 to essentially leave this prophecy open. It's different than what God had said to Daniel. God says to Daniel, I want you to seal it up until the end of days. God says to John, I want you to leave it open. And so basically, here's what God's saying. I want you to, how many of y'all grew up in a home where you had a, a big Bible on the, coffee, on the coffee stand? Yeah, like the biggest Bible. Like you just couldn't even pick it up. You just got, did, some, did some biceps with it, okay? 
Okay, here, here's what John hears from Jesus. I want you to leave the revelation open so that people can see it and read it and understand it and apply it. He says to Daniel, keep it closed. You're not going to understand it right now. He says to John, leave it open so that people can understand it. Okay? Don't, don't seal it up. And so in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, we get this vision that John has of the throne room of God. I want you to read it with me, and then we're going to unpack it. Revelation 5 and verse 1. Then I, that being John, saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the seal and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, that being John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop crying, right? Wipe your face off. Behold, the lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests for our God, and they shall reign on earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriad of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard, how many? Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. and the elders fell down and worshiped. So for most Christians, Revelation is this fascinating and frustrating puzzle of a book, right? Interpreters have proposed different keys to unlock it. Popular authors commend reading the book of Revelation in light of current world events. Books titled The Countdown to the End of the Age, $24.99 in all of the online shops. Another gives 10 prophetic issues as current as the morning news, explaining to leaders or readers where we are, what it means, and where we are going from here. And these confident prophecy experts uh, often miss the mark because they are a long way away from Christ's revelation to John and the seven churches. I, I, I've heard the book of Revelation taught lots of time, and those seven churches are like these ideas, right? These prophetic ideas of certain kinds of churches, and we don't want to be this kind of church, we want to be that kind of church, and we apply them to ourselves. But John's a real guy writing to real churches in real places. When they read this letter, they were like, oh, we got a revelation from Jesus to us, not 
some church thousands of years in the future. And so many times we read the book of Revelation and we look for ourselves and we watch the news and we got our Bible open and... Uh, 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 uh. But that's, that, that's not what the intent of this book is. If you remember at the very beginning of this study, I gave you a principle of Bible study called authorial intent. That the Bible is written to real people who really existed. That they had a context by which they interpreted the revelation they were receiving of what we call the Holy Scripture. And when we interpret Scripture, we need to take this into account. It needs to have been true for them before it can be true for us. And there are certain things in the book of Revelation that I just promise you, the people who received this letter originally did not think it was an Apache helicopter. They did not think it had anything to do with the European Union. That wasn't a thing. Those things weren't a thing, right? This is a historic book with, yes, prophecy in it, but with a lot of relevant, helpful revelation for the people who received it. So here's how I understand the book of Revelation. Revelation does three things. It discloses God's ultimate purposes in salvation and judgment. God's saying, this is what I intended to do. This is what I did. Let's all see what I did. I intended to save people, and I did it. Here you are. All right? Number two, it presents a transcendent, God-centered perspective on reality. It puts God at the center of, story, uh, of, of history. It is, it is, forgive the pun, it is his story. It always has been. And it, and it puts him at the middle of the picture, at the middle of the book, at the middle of the revelation, at the middle of the story. Number three, it challenges the people of God to evaluate their troubles in light of God's present rule and future triumph. It invites you not to sit down in front of your your favorite news channel and, and do this, but instead to look at your life and say, if God is in charge now, and if God ultimately wins, how should I think about this? That's what it does. Revelation is written for embattled Christians who need endurance, wisdom, and hope. Revelation intends to comfort struggling saints and warn those who are in spiritual danger. Now, maybe you've never thought about the book of Revelation as a resource for comfort. You've thought about it as a resource for confusion, but not as a resource for comfort. And so two things that I know. Number one, many of us need comfort right now. And it's been a wild few years, right? Do you remember in 2020 when we were like, if we can just make it to 2021... And then we went in 2021, and we were like, we thought 2021 was going to be better. Maybe if we can just make it to 2022. And how many of you are just perfectly fine with seeing 2022 go? Yeah, this has honestly been one of the hardest years of my entire life. I have, I have no white knuckling of this year. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for it to get better. And I know a lot of you, it's the same. You're struggling. You've lost a loved one. You haven't recovered what happened during COVID. You're struggling in your mind, in your marriage, in your money, in all of these kinds of different places. I know that for some of you, these happy holidays, and they are happy. And while a lot of us are celebrating, you're remembering difficult times, you're lamenting, you're, you're grieving. It just is a refreshing of some of these difficult things. 
The churches that are listed as recipients needed comfort, and John appears to believe that what he saw addresses their need. That, that what John saw in the book of Revelation would be of comfort to God's people in that time and in that place. John thought if you read the book of Revelation and see what's in it, you're going to be comforted around your circumstances. So let's, let's consider what John saw and let, let's see if it works. Okay, are you with me? Okay, number one, at the end of time, there is only one on the throne. At the end of time, there is only one on the throne. John says in chapter 5 and verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seating on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Now there's a lot of different theories as to what the scroll represents. The predominant view is that what is in the hand of this individual is the last will and testament of the living God who orders the events of history who has navigated through covenant the promise of both salvation and redemption and judgment. And that what's in that scroll will usher in his eternal kingdom. The one who's in charge, the one that this is his story, is sitting on the throne and he's holding, here's what comes next. That's what John sees. Now in ancient Rome, you need to understand that the last will and testament of anyone who was in charge of the emperor of the king, it was always sealed with seven seals. This is a historic reference, not a future reference. That emperors, whenever they would write important stuff, they would seal it, not with one seal, no, with seven seals. And in order for you to be able to read any of the document, you had to break all of the seven seals and those seven seals it had to be the breaking of the seal had to be attested to by seven witnesses you couldn't just go off in the closet and like break the seals and come out and be like i read it no no you had to do it in public you had to break them and you had to have people watch that you broke it appropriately and then whatever was in it had to be declared publicly that's what's happening What's interesting is that this scroll is, is held in the hands, and I just want to say this obvious thing to you, of him who was seated on the throne. Not multiple hymns, not a bunch of people. Not a bunch of people on a throne, and not multiple thrones. This isn't some consortium, this isn't Congress, this isn't some type of let's come to agreement. No, 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 there's one person in charge, there's one throne, and there's one God who's sitting on that one throne, and he's holding his plan for what comes next as we look back on his plan for what has already occurred. And it's the same as it was in the beginning, right? If you go over to Genesis chapter 1, and you read the first sentence in the entire Bible, here's what it, here's what it says. Let me just make sure that I don't mess this up. Are you ready? Okay, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. <laughs> Not in the beginning, you know, I know some of y'all have some suspicions about God, so let me know, no, God, God's like, in the beginning, I was here. And I, I ain't trying to defend myself, I ain't trying to debate this with you. I was here before y'all, I was in charge before y'all were here, and I will be here, and I'm still going to be in charge once y'all are done doing whatever y'all been doing. Right? The same God who begins what we call the Bible is the God who's sitting on the throne in Revelation chapter 5, and he is holding, this is what comes next. Why? Because, because it's his story and it's his throne. Now, there, there's some challenge here, 
Okay? There's some challenge here. Have any of you ever talked to somebody who they tell you a story, something like this? Back in the day, I had this guy, and he did some financial planning stuff, and he gave me this hot tip on, uh, on, on a stock by the name of Apple, right? Or Amazon or Tesla. And then if they have that story, they always go into, if I had put $500 in that stock today, I'd be, and they know the exact number. Have you had this experience before? Okay. That's, what, that's what's happening here because God is saying, I got a hot tip on how the story ends. <laughs> and, and what I'm inviting you to do is I'm inviting to invest yourself in my kingdom that was, that is, and that will be. And I don't want you to be telling a story in front of the throne room of God. If I had invested 500 minutes of my time in my life into this kingdom, I would be standing here happily right now. I want you now to believe the Bible as simply as it states it. In the beginning, God. At the end, God. And I want you to look over your shoulder at the past, and I want you to look into the future, and I want you to say, God, if, if the Bible is true, and if at the end you're in charge, then it would behoove me. Come on with the behoove. It would be... It makes sense for me to, to invest now in what I know will be then. You know, some of y'all, you, you, are, you are sitting on your own throne. You are holding your own scroll. And, and, and if the last couple years didn't teach you, let, let, me, let me humbly say, uh, whatever you think is in that scroll, you have very little control over. You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon, let alone... Later in your life, right? You, you can write whatever you want. You can seal it up and you can encrypt it and, you know, put all your Bitcoin and all the, you know what I mean? Like, you can do all that. You have no control because you don't have the authority over it. And some of us, we're sitting on our own throne of our own making when we think, I'm in control. I, I'm, I'm in charge. And look, I, I'm, I'm not saying some of y'all aren't aren't better educated than me, aren't smarter than me, aren't better looking than, well, maybe not better, you know. It's not good. But there is nobody in this room whose throne is authoritative enough to get them to the end of their life, let alone supersede into their eternity. And the invitation that this has for us right now is, this is the end of the story. Order yourself appropriately in regards to it. Invest now in the kingdom of God. Come into it. Submit to it. Give yourself to it. That's what being a Christian is. There's a challenge here. There's also a comfort here. There's a comfort for those who follow God and have become anxious or fearful of certain regimes and certain seasons and certain people getting elected and certain ways the economy's going and certain ways, are you with me? These things that we watch too much news and we let them pass the filter of our mind and they begin to shape our perspective on the world and we're walking around afraid of what's going to happen. This. This is what's going to happen. God wins. Jesus wins. You're on the right side of history. You're on the right side of the story for those of us who feel small, for those of us who feel uncared for. For those of us who feel powerless against those with more money, more status, 
more power, be at peace. The story begins and ends with God on the throne. The story begins and ends with God on the throne. And there's also a problem here. There's a problem in, in Revelation chapter 5. John says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open this thing, right? We want to know what's in, we want to know what's in the scroll. Who's worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And what does it say? And no one in heaven or on earth, or under the earth, which is so interesting to me, two references to under the earth, that translation is Hades, was able to open the scroll or to look into it, and John says, I began to weep loudly. That word means a noisy grief. (laughs) This brother's ugly crying. Like, John, bro, chill out, man. (laughs) That's what he's doing. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So John sees a throne, sees a scroll, the scroll is sealed, and an angel asks if anybody is worthy to open it. Now here's what's fascinating about this. He doesn't say, is anyone able to open it? Because we always think that God's economy is about power, and it's not. God's economy is about holiness. He doesn't say, who's strong enough to do it? Listen. Be careful investing in power when you should be investing in, in your character. Be careful. Be careful trying to stack them bills. Get that status so that you feel a certain kind of way because at the end of time, your, your power, your affluence, your influence, it, it doesn't get you very far. It doesn't get you very far. He doesn't say, is anyone capable? He says, anybody worthy. And no one is found worthy. And John begins to weep. Now, part of this is is just the anticipation, right? Like, finally, God's going to win. Finally, we're going to see what's up, right? Probably also the despair of if no one can open this scroll, we're stuck in this mess. Probably thirdly, the despair of, I know I ain't the one to open that thing. I'm standing before a holy God and someone says, who's worthy to open it? And not only am I not worthy, nobody else is worthy and we're going to be stuck in this broken, sinful world. Somebody needs to open this thing. Have you ever felt that way about this world? Someone needs to fix this thing. Someone needs to fix this. And every four years, we're like, maybe this is the one. Nope. Maybe at midterms. Nope. Maybe it was this legislation. Nope, nope, nope. Maybe if I made this much more money. Maybe if this happened. Maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. No, 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 no. We're stuck in brokenness. And John says somebody needs to open this. And there's nobody to open it. And John begins to cry. John begins to cry. And then it says, one of the elders said to me, wash your face. Right? Weep no more. Behold, look at is the word, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Now, whoever this individual is, this is a reference to his identity and to his genealogy. It's the only time this reference is used in Scripture, the lion of the tribe of Judah. In Genesis 49, Judah itself is referred to as a lion's cub. And so this is an individual who comes from the tribe of Judah, 
and is the champion of Israel. Are you with me? This is a specific genealogical reference to who this individual is. This is where they come from, but they're also the champion of God's people. They're the lion of the lion's cub. He is both of Judah and the champion of Israel. Secondly, the root. Okay, there's a couple references here. Revelation 22, this individual is called the root and the descendant of David. Now, how can you be both the root and the branch? Well, if you've come before and if you've outlasted. Are you with me? This, this individual is the root, and Isaiah 1 through 3 calls him the shoot of Jesse. This is somebody who is from Judah, but the champion of Israel. This is somebody who was before David, but outlasted David. Very interesting. Okay. This individual has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. <laughs> Come on. Just standing there. I love, I love that the most powerful being of greater than our imagination doesn't need to show off. I love the humility of our God coupled with the power of our God. He looks and the lamb is just standing. As though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went... And he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. <laughs> now, as an Israelite, familiar with the Old Testament, John expected God to right all wrongs and to judge sinners. And we say yes and amen to that. Well, those sinners, anyways, right? Now the prophet gains insight into how God will set things straight. Redemption is not accomplished by mere might and law alone. Redemption isn't accomplished by a lion. It's accomplished by a lamb. The setting straight of all brokenness in the world is not the lion who consumes and devours. Yes, that's the reference, but when he looks, he sees the lamb. The redemption of all things isn't by might and power and right. It's by mercy and grace. How does God fix this world? By his grace. By his grace. The lamb of God. Now when you think about earthbound men and symbols, we like to, we like to connect ourselves with certain animals, don't we? Right? Russians, what are they like? We're, we're like bears. Right? Going into countries that aren't ours. <laughs> Britain was a lion. France is a tiger. The United States, a bald eagle, right? All of us have this the most powerful animal. And this is what I always say to you. God isn't trying to do it our way. Our way. God's not trying to say, well, I'm going to find a better animal than you all so you know how bad I am, right? You got a lion and a tiger and a bear and you got a, you got a bald eagle. You know what I'm going to be? I'm going to be a lamb. <laughs> It is only the kingdom of heaven that would dare to use as its symbol of might a lamb who had been killed. A lamb with seven horns. Now in the Old Testament, horns symbolize power. 
with seven eyes, symbolizing the discerning spirit of God, seeing all and possessing all knowledge. This lamb is somebody who has all power and all knowledge and all discernment. That number seven is the number of completion, meaning all the power is his. All the knowledge is him, his, all the understanding it is both quantitatively and qualitatively his. It is completely and perfectly all his, the lamb who was slain. This slain lamb who is standing. Now, I don't exactly know how this works, but my assumption is that dead things don't stand. I don't know. I've never been dead. But I've been around a lot of dead people, and they tend to fall over. They tend to lay there. They tend to not do anything. This lamb is standing there. And the reference that John uses is a Greek word that signifies, yes, this was a lamb who had been slain. Yes, the effects of his death are still affecting him. In other words, what occurred through his death is still applying to him, but he has somehow become greater than the death that took his life. He's not laying down. He ain't even sitting. He's standing. Y'all thought you got me. Here I am, full of power, full of knowledge, full of holiness. This lamb is supremely powerful, supremely all-knowing, and he has won his victory through his death. Not through, not through his enemy's death, through his death. There ain't anybody like our God. There ain't anybody like our God. You do know in, in the world's economy, for me to win, you have to lose. There's a limited amount of power, a limited amount of money, a limited amount of attention. If, if I don't get it, you get it. Not in God's economy. In God's economy, he loses so we can win. He dies so we can have life. He gives up his power so we can be a part of the family. This is the combination of the utmost in power and the utmost in goodness. You say, why do I care? Because right now you have something going on in your life and you say, God, where are you? Aren't you powerful enough to fix this? He says, read the end of the story. Read the end of the story. Re read who I am and what I've done. Aren't you good enough, God? Aren't you powerful enough and good enough to do something about this? And he says, read the end of the story. I already did something about it. And there's going to come a day where you're going to understand the truth as it actually is. Baby, I know right now you can't see it as it is. I want you to read the book of Revelation. <laughs> Why am I supposed to read the book of Revelation? Because right now you're forgetting the story that you're caught up in. Because right now you're forgetting who's on the throne. Because right now you're forgetting who's worthy. Because right now you're forgetting that I have all of the power and all of the goodness. And I love you. I chose you. I laid my life down for you. And at the end of the story, even though I laid my life down, I'm standing there. And guess who's standing next to me? You. You. You are. In Revelation 5 and verse 8, we see the response. And when he had taken the scroll, and I love this, right? I love this because it's not as though he could have taken it if God the Father didn't want him to have it. Can you imagine anybody else running up to the throne? Like, y'all remember the, the story of King Arthur with the sword and the stone? 
right? And everyone tries to take it, but they're not worthy. And Jesus just walks up and... Thanks, Dad. And as soon as he takes it... Look, he hadn't even opened it. As soon as he takes it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders... <laughs> not, not knelt down. Not, oh, nope. Wham! Fell down before the lamb. Each one holding a harp. Now, I understand the physics of this. Fall down. Did I fall on the harp? Is my, right? I don't know. Holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Watch. All these prayers that you're praying right now are collected up, and they're before the throne of God. All this worship that we're offering, it's the reason that I always say to you, how do we, how do we put Jesus over everything? Read the book of Revelation. I bring my worship, and I bring my prayers, and I put them where? Before the throne. And the lamb takes that scroll and we fall down before him. And what is in front of him? The harp, our worship, and the bull that represents our prayers. Listen, this is why I say to you, and I, I love you, but some of y'all, you don't understand what you're doing when you're standing there with the opportunity to worship Jesus with a scowl on your face and your hands in your pocket. Those go someplace when you offer them. When you stand there and you sing, God hears it and collects it. When we pray together, God hears it and collects it. It matters. It means something. It's significant. It's sacred when we do it at all, let alone when we do it together. And they sang a new song, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, it's true, but by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests for our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And when I looked, I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. This is John's version of saying, I just I lost count. So many people worshiping that I lost count. Saying with a loud voice, this is the end of the story. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, don't miss the geography, in heaven, yet yeah, that makes sense, and on earth, wow, everyone on earth is going to worship Jesus at the end of the story? Yep, everyone. So you might as well start now. Everyone in heaven, everyone on earth, and everyone under the earth. <laughs> and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Let it be so. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. At the end of the story, the universe is praising Jesus. I, I don't even know how to get my mind around that. The Bible says that, that the creation is groaning right now, that there's some emotional and audible to the ears of God groaning that's occurring by creation right now, that the rocks are wanting to cry out. And in this moment, God says, all right, go on. All right, let's hear it. And all 
creation. All in heaven, all on earth, all under the earth. Falls down before Jesus and utters the holiest sound that has ever been made. Worship as a response to being overwhelmed by the worthiness of Jesus. Worthy to receive all those things. Worthy according to everyone else. And they sing a new song. We sing new songs here at Grace Hobby. This is a song that nobody has heard up until this place. It's based on the kingdom's inauguration. This is the, the, the song that only gets sung when the kingdom gets inaugurated. And it's a kingdom in which new names are given. Revelation 2. In which a new heaven and earth is created. Revelation 21. In which a new Jerusalem appears. Revelation 21. And in which all things are made new. It's a kingdom with new names, with new heaven, new earth, with new Jerusalem, and with new, well, everything. New you, new us, new it, new them, new those, new all of it. Now, what's interesting about this is not everyone in that throne room had had it easy in their life. Are you with me? Some of, some of those in that throne room had struggled, had been persecuted. Some of them had been martyred. Some of them had doubted that this day was ever going to come. Some of them had been betrayed or hurt. Some of them had had times when God felt distant. But watch. In view of Him and not of them. In view of Him and not of their circumstances, they understood and they worshipped. In that day, it makes sense. I know it doesn't in this day. And I know it does in that day. And the other thing that's interesting is that everybody who is supposed to be there is. I read one theologian. He said, the chorus is necessarily incomplete so long as there is one voice missing from it. John says, I lost count. God says, I didn't. <laughs> Everybody that I knew who would receive the salvation that my son laid his life down to offer is here. And so here's the question. And I know it's cliched, but you know where you are in your story, right? You know where you are in your circumstance. You know where you are in your belief. You know where you are in your perspective, I just told you where God says he will be at the end of time. And the question is whether or not you are in that chorus. Whether or not you are singing that new song. Whether or not you have received that redemption. And the thing that's amazing about it is it's not something that you'll receive then. It's something that you receive now. Those of us who will be there received redemption now and experienced the culmination then. And my fear for you on this holiday season is that you're waiting for something to happen when the invitation is for now. You're waiting for some type of punchline when the punchline is here. God already tells you the end of the story. And so here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to close their eyes for a minute. And if you're a follower of Jesus, what I want you to do is I want you to stop listening to me. And I want you to just meditate in your imagination on what that moment will be like. 
I want you to meditate on what it will be like to be there with every tongue, tribe, and nation singing a new song in a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem and you having a new name. And I also want those of you who are in the room and you know you're not a follower of Jesus. There's no condemnation, there's no criticism, there's no judgment for me, only an invitation from God. God's invitation is that you be in that course, that you be in that redemption. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, but today you wanna become one, I want you to raise your hand. I have a gift for you. If you know that you're not gonna be in this story at the end, but you want to accept that invitation now, raise your hand. And if you know that you are a follower of Jesus and you're praying that that day is today, raise your hand. Come on, you ain't listening to me. If you're a follower of Jesus and you say, God, I pray your kingdom comes today. God, I pray this story happens today. Come on, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Receive this good news today. Receive this comfort today. I know what's happening now. I'm telling you what's coming next. I know who you feel like is in charge now. I'm telling you who's actually in charge now and who's ultimately in charge then. God loves you. God sees you. God wins. God wins. God, we love you today, and I thank you for the reality of your story. I thank you, God, that you have written it and it will come to pass. I thank you that you're the one who's on the throne and you're the one that's worthy. And so today, you're the one that we worship. God, I pray for those of us in the room right now who are not followers of Jesus. We're not in this story. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would invite our hearts invite our minds, invite us into your kingdom and into that chorus. And I pray, God, for those of us who, we're followers of you, but we're struggling right now. We're hurting right now. I pray today, God, that you would give us in our spirit and in our imagination a vision of what you say will be. And that in the seeing, we would be comforted. In the seeing, we would be encouraged. In the seeing, we would be steadied. Let these things be, Lord, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. And it says, in his name we pray. Amen and amen.